everybody. This is Issa Cosette, and you are listening to Issa's Way, your favorite podcast that you didn't know existed, you didn't know you needed, but we're so glad you're here. And this week, we have a very special guest coming live from South Carolina, the Len Lawson, poet, professor, creator of many beautiful things, and how we move and how our bodies and our traumas and our experiences are reflected through different melodies, different experiences. And I'm just honored to be connected to you through Obsidian and get to know more about your work, your journey. How are you on your way? It's such a pleasure to have you here, Lynn. How are you? I'm feeling good. That was a beautiful intro. I'm going to just put like the word the as my prefix from now on. Just the Lynn Lawson. I love exactly. it. <laughs> one and only, you know, no one can move and speak like you do. So we are, you know, we got to own up to our uniqueness. Tell the people a little bit about yourself. Yeah, you mentioned South Carolina. Um, I've lived here my whole life. Haven't lived anywhere else, but uh, feel just really entrenched in this space and, uh, and grounded by my work, which really speaks to that and not only the present, but also the past and now recently the future. So I'm doing a lot of things right now, which, uh, you know, try to balance being a doctoral student, about to be uh, a master's student again with the MFA program. Um, you know, just all the things going on, the anthology that uh, I'm curating with uh, Cynthia Manick and Gary Jackson on Afrofuturism is taking up a lot of time, which we hope will be out in uh, the fall of this year, fall, winter, I hope. But um, I guess I'm a type of person that likes to keep busy, I guess, but, you know, sometimes in, in an unhealthy way, but uh, usually in a healthy way. So balance is a real key to my life and also uh, prioritizing and time management. <laughs> Pretty much a lot about myself. Yes, you do a lot and you're very active. Like you said, not only are you soon to be finished with your dissertation as a PhD candidate, but you also are about to start an MFA program. So you're a busy body, but the work needs to be done. So being able to find and explore and share the work um, of people in the South, I think you being in South Carolina is very important, right? Um, especially with the work that you're doing. So I wanted to know, like, how has writing, your own writing and publishing, um, changed the way you teach or approach your work? I think it allows me to see, like, all sides of what we do or what we want to do as poets. Because a lot of times when we come into poetry and uh, want to publish, we're there's like a lot of gray area or the unknown that we don't know. So it kind of gives us a lot of anxiety or uh, we're unsure of our voice. And um, especially if you don't have like a, a group of people, a group of uh, poets, writers that you can connect with as we uh, did with Obsidian. So um, it, it, gives, it gives me the ability to look at it from all sides and, and then to impart some of that knowledge and uh, emotional management to students or just other people that are interested in, you know, furthering their craft. Having community definitely supports one along the way because like sometimes we face or we like we get blocks or we're, we're unsure, like you said, of how to find our voice and being in community and getting that encouragement is important. What do you think the most valuable piece of advice you've been given from your community about your writing? 
um, most likely the most valuable piece of advice is do what you do or figure out what you do and then do it. You know, um, a lot of times we come into poetry as like imitators of other people's work until we can, you know, take the steering wheel ourselves and then, you know, find that voice and confidence. So it's a process of, of getting to that point. Um, you know, it's not a magical point that happens or an epiphany or whatever. It comes through practice. So that's kind of kind of how it happened for me with uh, uh, just having raw, I guess, poetry, talent, or just desire. And then, you know, reading poets that I actually enjoyed or that I thought were, you know, these idols. And then, you know, trying to do what they do, but obviously unsuccessfully because we can't be somebody else. But then um, once you start getting into like a practice in a routine and finding out and figuring out who you are and what you do, then um, that's when your work is most authentic, I believe. So do what you do. <laughs> you get so inspired and motivated that you don't realize that you're not really embracing your voice. You're really just echoing others, right? Like you said, just the practice is how we come into knowing ourselves. You know, we have, like Mama said, you have to fall and get up to be able to figure it out. And that's literally important to be able to do what you do. And that will help you find your voice, your craft. It will connect you to people who will put you in the right places, right? And so once I came to the Caribbean and once I get to read, I got to read other texts, I said, what? I wish, you know? So my, my process was literally reflecting the voices that I was reading until I found my own. So do what you do, people. You'll get there. You just got to figure it out. Yeah, I also want to bring balance to that and say not just doing what you do, because, I mean, you need to be able to hear other people like in your work or hear other people's work to, you know, understand the craft and understand how other people's voices work with them. But uh, it's like we're kind of building up this uh, database in our poetry of you know other people's work and then finding the confidence to share our own work so it's like but to speak to what you said it's like trusting the well that we already have instead of trying to borrow water from other people's wells you know what i mean it's just like uh we we have we have our own well of water that we can draw from but you just have to trust that because it's like, it's like if you're standing out here on a cliff, you know, when you come into poetry, it's like, well, am I doing this right? I don't know what I'm doing. And, and then, you know, if you don't have anybody to, you know, give you that support, then, you know, you, you, you won't walk. <laughs> you know what I mean? You won't put one foot in front of the other. So everybody has a well. So it's, a, it's also a process of just trusting in the well. All right, Pastor. Pastor preacher, you know. You can tell from South Carolina, right? You know, of... you got that <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, that is that is the balance. Yes, definitely being able to draw from yourself. Like mm. thinking about your experiences of you know your first debut of Chime, um, your chat book, right? And then you said you have this new anthology of the Afrofuturism and the Black Comics poetry. That is interesting because I want to see how you're connecting comics and poetry but can you describe the process right of one chapbook to your debut to this anthology like what is it like writing and collecting maybe I think as a lot of first books are 
uh, first books of poetry are, it's a collection of poems that have been amassed over time, over uh, a few years, maybe even several years, and then seeing like, you know, is there a connective thread among those poems or even midway through creating, you know, what are these poems saying or are they all trying to say something together? So that is a process. Um, I think probably about, mm, say like a couple of years before Chime came out, I was thinking about like uh, the black body and um, this was like in the middle or in the middle of, uh, you know, the last decade, which I don't know what we call it. Is it like the teens or something? I have no idea. But anyway, it's like uh, 2010 to 2020. Uh, so like midway through that was like when the Black Lives Matter movement was just getting off the ground. And here where I was living, um, it was extremely heated due to the shootings of Walter Scott, the Manual 9, which resulted in the removal of the uh, Confederate flag from our state house. So, with all of those things, um, I just I was just thinking about like, or not wanting to think about just black death, but how the body can be celebrated, or just how intricate and important and uh, useful this body is that we take for granted. So, I just wanted to investigate poems on the body, and that's how Chime came about because I had this poem using the metaphor, the black body is a wind chime. So uh, that's kind of how the, the title came up and then how, you know, those poems kind of came together in that. Um, with the anthology of uh, Afrofuturism, I was just thinking like the, how the game has been missing like poems about uh, black superheroes, Afrofuturistic, uh, which is in film, music, you know, all other genres, but limited in poetry. I won't say it's, it's absolutely missing, but just limited in poetry. And uh, I mean, there's been a few other anthologies recently, but um, when uh, I hooked up with Gary Jackson, who also lives here in South Carolina, who wrote uh, Missing You Metropolis about 10 years ago, who is um, just completely all in on uh, Black, comics poetry um i said you know what we need to get like uh, a new anthology together about uh afrofuturistic poetry and um i also tapped uh cynthia manic who also kind of writes along those lines that so that we could um you know get those poems together uh for the culture you know what i mean so uh that's really how that came about and uh also that was when uh, a few years ago when i had that idea that was when like black panther was uh, just getting uh, or just coming out and uh, Luke Cage, his own TV series and, you know, all of these depictions of uh, African-Americans or the African diaspora not dying, but being like superimposed on film, on screen, in music, you know, which is what is needed after uh, those things that I mentioned happened uh, about five or six years ago. And, uh, so Afrofuturism is a, a way to take us from, you know, that reality into something that's uh, supernatural that uh, we can learn from and grow from and build hope from, I believe.
I, I love that. I love the fact that we're able to see ourselves through different lights and not through, you know, the enslaved narrative that they kind of limit and marginalize Black people and especially like the African-American experience. And, you know, to see ourselves reflected, like I said, in a future that we're living and long lasting, right? And we have all of these powers. And when you think about just how we've been kind of separated from our little African, our African traditions and practices is like, we really are. And so to be able to remember, to be able to imagine, to be able to write that is very important because we are um, not only just like unmasking, right? But we're helping the future generations see themselves and be able to navigate um, through these spaces because it's frustrating to see that and that people are just kind of falling quickly. Like, we don't want to talk about these traumas. We want to talk about our accomplishments, our greatness, our skills, like we can, you know, with given the amount of time and support and encouragement and resources, you know, it's possible. Congratulations. I look forward to actually reading that collection and seeing how you guys are blending the lines of poetry, comics, and Afrofuturism. I um, mean, just making space that, that needs to be um, read and seen so that we can continue to grow from that and expand it on that. Um, thinking about the growth that we're embracing and all the things that you accomplish. Um, just wanted to know what was your greatest takeaway from Obsidian and how are you continuing to pay it forward? The reason why I reached out and um, even applied to the Obsidian Foundation retreat was that I knew that what was lacking in my game was that community. And so uh, my poetry practice was basically write the poem, edit the poem, edit the poem, edit the poem, edit the poem into oblivion, and then, you know, see what other people think about it uh, when I send it out. But um, I, I knew that was something that was missing because I didn't have not only just, you know, a critique group, but I mean like a community, you know, people that uh, believe the same things you, you believe and uh, embrace you regardless. And that's so useful and helpful. I mean, can you have disagreements, conflicts? Yes. But at the end of the day, you're still a community. So um, that was something that uh, I have been where I've been on other retreats and then that kind of dissolved after the retreat was over. And um, I was you know, willing to pick back up and, and find an, uh, a community that would embrace me like that worldwide even so <laughs> that was uh unexpected but um it's it's been uh glorious to be able to have people in your life that that uh make you feel like your work is important that's beautiful to know and to experience and embrace shout out to group e even though i'm repping group a all day <laughs> let's let's get it regardless <laughs> um, yes that space in that week was intense but much needed to be able to pay attention to things I need to work on. And the community is forever. Like, I don't feel like this is going to be like one of those. It's not definitely not one of those things. Cause it was in December and I'm still in touch. I feel like even without the podcast, cause we've been having different ways of connecting throughout the year and it's, it's beautiful. I know you have a poem to share with us today. So this is one of the poems that's going to be in the anthology. Um, I decided to do a suite of poems about Amanda Waller, who in, uh, DC Comics is the founder, leader, however you want to say, of the Suicide Squad. And she is a ruthless, 
African-American woman in terms of like politics and uh, government at the highest levels. You know what I'm saying? She's not a general. She, you know, doesn't hold any political office. She just worked her way into that space, you know? So, um, and sometimes she's viewed as a villain, which is also uh, interesting too, you know? So she kind of blurs that line of, you know, hero and villain, you know, she's just doing what she feels like she needs to do for uh, the betterment of the country. So um, this is the first poem in that suite called Amanda Waller Enters the War Room. She condolizes her way through the Pentagon with the stealth of a panther. Visceral eyes peeled, mountainous shoulders arched, volcanic neck veined and tongue triggered to strike at the first sight of a five-star general. She's never fired a round, never donned a uniform, nor received gold or bronze. Let's call her black skin her badge, her tight, neatly edged Afro her rank, her black heels the boots of war. It's not her impressive degrees that pierce men's egos, not her immaculate record of service under several presidential administrations that makes white men cower. It's not the armor of her power suits that remains tough as rhino's flesh. Angelou said it's the stride of her step. She glides with the confidence of 10,000 Valkyries in tow. The Negro spirituals would call her a battle axe, a bulwark, a buckler. She stampedes this polygon, not for love. Her countenance here will never endear passion, but fear, not desire, but duty. She eclipses the dark room before aging white men reluctantly standing to her loathsome presence, daring not to trifle with her ominous right hand of wrath. How terrible is her name in all the earth that decorated warriors masked their terror. I love it because I loved how you captured her essence her strength, like how she moves and like just think your first line, right? She kind of loses her weight, what? You know, and just reflecting more powerful women and connecting her through what she like. And it's it's so interesting how as black women, sometimes it's like, we obviously, we're often erased from history and all of the things that we've accomplished, but we still, like you said, do what you do, right? Women, regardless if we get the accolades or the um, recognition, we show up and we help make change, right? And it's so important to remember that revolutionary power that is like instilled in us. Like, I'm excited actually to, to read that collection. Um, Cause I like, I'm not, once again, not too familiar with the comics, but I've been getting into like the Avengers and like, you know, with the whole, Black Panther, but besides that, little by little, little by little, with the, with the book, I'll learn. <laughs> so I look That's what it is. That. Let's do it. Sharing. Tell me, how are you on your way, Lynn? Yeah, I'm just trying to apprehend what I've been apprehended for. I love that Bible verse that says that, um, like a lot of people want to focus on the, the whole press for the mark for the high calling verse, you know, that's, that's great. But I love the one that's like, you know, a couple of ones before that, where uh, Paul says, um, you know, it's not like I've obtained anything yet, but um, 
I'm trying to apprehend what I have been apprehended for. Like I was tapped and then uh, there's something that I have to achieve because I was called, you know what I mean? So it's like chasing that thing that uh, whatever, whatever you want to call it, the destiny, fate, God, whatever, you know, you believe in, it's, it's a pursuit. And so um, it's an, it's almost like an endless pursuit, but uh, it's, it's an enduring one. So uh, it doesn't end until you're in the ground. So I guess I've been on my way for like 40 years now, <laughs> but I guess that's how I'm on my way. But yes, to be able to recognize what you've been called for and continue to, you know, shift and change and grow and evolve is really important um, because like we can get so distracted and you, Mr. Busy, you know, sometimes it will be easy to get distracted, <laughs> but just keep paying attention. I hope that God continues to open the way and put people in your path to help open the doors to remind you of who you are and you have here, you're here to do what you do, sir. That's beautiful. I'll, I'll take that prayer, you know, I'll, and I receive. It. Thank you so much. Amen. Tell the people where can they connect with you at? Where can they buy your book? Where can they support you? Yeah, um, my website is pretty much the hub for all of that. So uh, it's lynnlawson.co, not .com, um, where uh, all my social media is, and uh, which is basically just my name, Lynn Lawson. If you search that, I'm not hard to find. But uh, the book is also uh, linked there, but it's from Get Fresh Books. And so it's on their website. Yes, show him love. Thank you so much for sharing just a little bit, a little bit, little bit of your story, because I know there's so much to you and there's so much to come. I look forward to once again reading your work and connecting with you again in the future. Thank you. This is beautiful. Love what you're doing. And it's just been a pleasure getting to know you. Thank you. To everyone who's listening, just know you got to do what you do, but it takes practice. It takes patience, it's community and a lot of prayer, you know, but trust your path and trust that God will align those to you to do what you do. Until next time, this is Isa Cosette. Y'all be blessed.